Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for March 4th, 2018. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jacks Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, On Cutting Off Your Nose to Spite Your Faith. Today's sermon is not particularly long, and it's not particularly hard, but it is particularly rusting, which means we're going to take a journey together, okay? We're going to meander a little bit, and as I usually do, I'm going to get to the point on the last page, okay? (laughs) Stay with me, okay? St. Eva was the mother superior of the Coldingham Priory a monastery in Scotland. The year was 867 CE, not far from the beginning of a 300-year reign of terror that seized northern Europe. Norse seafarers, who had become romanticized as the legendary Vikings, had begun to ply the frigid seas in their longboats in search of conquest and treasure. Viking comes from the old English word which means pirate. And when these seafaring bandits made landfall near Coldingham, word spread at the speed of panic. Reaching the priory, the monastery, Saint Ebba moved quickly to protect herself and her sacred sisterhood, which was concerned first and foremost for their blessed chastity. St. Ebba quickly devised a plan to make her virginity unappealing to the boorish pagans. And as soon as she had sliced off her own nose and her upper lip, her charges quickly followed her righteous example. Indeed, when those Vikings reached the monastery, despite what might have been on their lustful minds when they entered, on seeing that pathetic band of disfigured nuns they quickly lost their appetites, though not their appetites for violence, because in testosterone-laden disgust and rage, they locked the doors with the women inside and they burned the building to the ground. You have heard of cutting off your nose to spite your face. Cognitive scientist Steven Pinker notes that the phrase may have originated from this practice, or because at that time, cutting off someone else's nose was the prototypical act of spite. We humans have a cruel history, do we not? I wish I could say we had grown more compassionate, but sometimes you have to wonder about that. Now you've had a brief history lesson with some etymology, you know, cool word uh, study thrown in. So let me give you a quick lesson in Biblical Hebrew. The Hebrew word for nose is af. Aleph peh, transliterated A-P-H, af, nose. The Hebrew word for anger is, anybody want to take a guess? Monty? Nafaim. Nafaim. Do you hear af? Nafaim. Spelled the same way, the word for nose and the word for anger are the same word. 
Marvin Tate taught Hebrew and Old Testament when Amy and I were students at the Mother Seminary in Louisville. In the topical filing cabinet in my office, I retrieved a file labeled Anger, and I found an old academic paper of his entitled Anger in the Old Testament. Dr. Tate explains that the verbal root of the word for anger, af, probably derives from the idea of to snort, like a bull snorting mad. So in Genesis, in the long narrative describing the enmity between Jacob and his brother Esau, we read, until your brother's anger turns away, dot, dot, dot. But Dr. Tate says, the sentence literally says, until Esau turns, until Esau turns his nose away from you. In one passage, the psalmist describes the fearful power of Yahweh because God was angry, smoke went up from his nostrils. And the well-known praise of God recorded numerous times in the Old Testament, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, this phrase means literally a God merciful and gracious, long extended of the nose. So there's some interesting trivia about your proboscis this morning. What does all this nasal trivia have to do with Jesus and the money changers in the temple? Well, it is true that cutting off your nose to spite your face is painful and counterproductive and foolish. And Jesus' example, his anger in Jerusalem that day teaches us, teaches us that cutting off our nose to spite our faith is just as dangerous. Cutting off your nose, that is to say, cutting off your anger, restraining your rage does no justice to a faith based in the love of God that Christians find expressed in Jesus' deep passion for justice. Bayard Rustin the activist and social reformer whose work was influential to Martin Luther King Jr. once said, let us be enraged by injustice, but let us not be destroyed by it. I don't know whether Rustin was talking about not let us be destroyed by, destroyed by injustice or let us not be destroyed by rage. Either way, his statement is true. Let us be enraged by injustice, but not destroyed by it. So as Dan asked you already this morning, what is it that makes you angry? Where is your righteous rage? Or have you cut off your nose to spite your face? I wrote in this week's newsletter about a conversation we had this past week at Amy's mother's house. Her niece, a middle school English teacher, stopped by and was telling us about the drill they had conducted that day, the monthly drills they are now required to hold in school, in the active shooter drills that high school and middle school and elementary children are now required to practice every single month. They teach the children that if they need to, they should push their desk around in front of an intruder throw their books at the monster wielding that AR-15 rifle that was constructed for modern warfare, 
They talked to the children about how they might use the power cord from their computer to lash the doors closed, or maybe as a makeshift rope to get out the window and escape. Of course, that won't work in Katie's room because it's on the second floor, so she told her children that they might one day just have to jump out the window. This is an actual conversation. And one boy incredulously looked at her and said, Won't that kill me, Miss Jax? Her answer was sober. No, it will probably break both of your legs, but that's better than being shot by an AR. This was an actual conversation with an actual American teacher practicing for an actual situation in a class of 12 and 13-year-old children. All I could add to the conversation was to wonder out loud what anyone from any other country in the entire world would be thinking if they dropped in on that conversation right then. The utter foolishness that has overcome America. We have conceded the war on guns, period. We no longer talk about how to stop the killing, even the hardliners. Our only conversations now are about how to minimize the casualties the next time it happens in an elementary school. Listen to the conversation. We're not talking about how to stop it. We're talking about how to keep less of our kids from getting shot. I'm a little angry. In that newsletter article, after telling this conversation, I wrote, I have to admit that anger is getting the better part of me at times these days. That is, when I'm not weeping for the meanness and the foolishness that is overtaking us. I am not anti-gun. I never have been. I am anti-stupid. We cannot even talk anymore, folks. There is no reasoning because our government is now owned by the corporate dollar. The problem is guns. Any way you look at it, mental health, background checks, increased security, there are more than 300 million guns in this country. So you can write any law you want to write. You can close every loophole for background che checks. You can train every single teacher in America for concealed carry. You can ban semi-automatics. But with 300 million weapons already in circulation, anyone who wants a gun of any kind to be used for any reason is going to have one. I do not care if you have a certified doctor's diagnosis of mental incapacity. If you show up at the right place with the right amount of cash in your pocket, some unscrupulous supplier is going to gladly sell you the gun and the bump stock and all the ammo you can carry right out of the back of his pickup. The problem is the guns but we can't even have that conversation. So I went to see a counselor this week. Well, we were talking about the business of the Counseling Center at Charlotte, which is housed on our campus. I am currently the board president. 
But when our business was done, I said to Gary, can I tell you about my anger? And I talked to him about the righteous rage that I have about guns in this country. And I shared with him my fear and sadness at the racial division that I know is always boiling just under the American surface. I shared with him my heartbreak over the hardness, I can only call it meanness, that is now guiding our immigration policy. Amy told you last week that Gilles Bikindu was just shipped back to the Congo where he fears he will be killed. killed. This after 10 years of hard work in the United States, following all the rules, and as a faithful member of the Greenwood Forest Baptist Church in Cary, the ICE agents who put him on the plane would not even let Gilles take his medicine with him nor would they allow him to carry a small bag of supplies and reminders of, his love, of, of their love that his church had prepared for him. Not even a small bag. Our own Yekaterina Riskova is no longer singing as one of our choral scholars in the choir because one month before I was to per perform her wedding, Yekaterina's fiancé, Eric, was deported to El Salvador, one of the most dangerous countries. Amy told me I wasn't going to be able to do this. One of the most dangerous countries in Central America. Eric had been here working, reporting regularly to the immigration officials since he was a young teenager. But at a recent annual gathering of the Conservative Political Action Committee, the President of the United States read a poem about a woman and a vile snake that turned on her and bit her. And he said before he read it, and I quote, think of it in terms of immigration. In other words, Gilles Bikindu and Eric deserve to be treated as criminals because they are just snakes. I have to admit that anger is getting the better part of me at times these days. That is, when I'm not weeping for the meanness and the foolishness that is overtaking us. I have some other issues and I shared them with Gary. And then I said to my counselor friend, tell me how to get rid of this anger. Well, I was expecting some helpful but probably challenging counselorese and advice. I thought he might talk to me about taking some time to sit quietly and breathe deeply. I thought Gary might ask me what about my prayer life. I thought he might ask me what channels I watch on TV or if I was a social media holic. I got none of that from my counselor friend. He just looked at me and he said, so what's wrong with being angry at all that, right? And there was a pause, and then he said, but what are you doing with your anger? What are you doing with your anger? Richard Rohr, the great Catholic teacher and writer, says, Christianity is a lifestyle, a way of being in the world that is simple, nonviolent, shared and loving. However, we have made the lifestyle into an established religion and all that goes with a religion and have avoided the lifestyle change altogether. 
For most of Christian history, one could be warlike, greedy, racist, selfish, and vain, and still believe that Jesus is one's personal Lord and Savior. The world has no time for such silliness anymore, he says. The suffering on earth is too great. Well, I think Richard Rohr is right about everything he just said, except that there is nothing new about religion and nothing new about suffering on earth. Suffering has always been here, and religion has always been tempted to turn in on itself, guarding the institution more than the people. So let me try to tie all of this to today's scripture, because Jesus was a Jew, he was always a Jew, so he was not being anti-Semitic when he spoke out against the Judaism of his day. He was criticizing the religion that Judaism had become instead of the lifestyle that it was supposed to be. Now, in my opinion, were Jesus here today, his critique of the American Christian church would make his words about his Judaism look like a slap on the wrist. The story of the cleansing of the temple is found in all four Gospels. It teaches us something very important about the character of Jesus. A blog post commentator says of John's interpretation that it hinges on the word destroy. Destroy this sanctuary and in three days I will raise it. He says we are to understand that by the Greek word lusate, destroy, the first meaning of which is to loose, to set free any person or thing tied or fastened. Loose this sanctuary and in three days I will, rest I will restore it. Mark Davis says it is a liberating word which might be an interesting way to pursue it here. If Jesus is saying, liberate this sanctuary and I will elevate it in three days. I wonder how Jesus might elevate our faith if we could loose it, liberate the Christian church from the religion it has become in the eyes of so many around the world. Years ago, my conservative friend, who was the director of the, uh, of the World Mission Center at Sanford University, told me that he had quit calling himself a Christian because it's a bad word around the world for so many people. Scholar and retired Presbyterian pastor Eugene Peterson speaks to this when he says, the pastors of America have metamorphosed into a company of shopkeepers. We have just become a company of shopkeepers, and the shops we keep are churches. The church is supposed to change the world, not just keep shop, keep the status quo for either government or religion. A few years ago, surveys showed that evangelical Christians were the strongest proponents of torture as a valid measure of interrogation. Today, some Christians are the loudest proponents of the biggest guns, the meanest policies, the loudest chance of war, and they worship a Savior they say validates all of that. I think Jesus would be very angry at that, and I think we ought to be too. We need to loose the church 
to free our faith from the strong binding chains of the religion that always protects itself. So Park Road Baptist Church, I ask you today, what are you going to do with your anger? Please do not cut off your nose. Do not stifle your righteous anger to spite your faith because the anger of Jesus will set us free. May it be so. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.